Great to see you all here for our weekend stay, as hopefully you've got one of these booklets, and you can see it's called Fully Human, and we've got three sessions, Living in the Body, Living in the Ordinary, those two today, and then tomorrow in our Sunday service, Living in Hope. And um, just to get us thinking about this um, topic, and Jesus being fully human, us being fully human, I'm going to ask you... Um, Eight, I'm going to read out eight statements about Jesus living in the body, and um, I want you to say in your, in your heart, in your mind, we can't, unfortunately we can't feedback, normally I'd get feedback, the rest of it, whether you think it's true or false, okay? Simple, eight true or false statements. Don't overthink them, just instinctively, what do you think? If you've got a pen with you, you could just write down T or F for each one, okay? Happy? Just to get, get us going, get us thinking, get the juices flowing. Jesus was never clumsy, and never drop something on the floor. True or false? I'm not going to repeat them. Everyone got it? Number two, Jesus didn't have to learn how to swim. He could already walk on water. True or false? Instinctively, what do you think? Put it down. Usain Bolt would lose to Jesus in a 100-meter sprint. Jesus never caught a cold. True or false? Jesus was able to resist temptation because of his own divine power. If Jesus fell over and scraped himself, the wound would have healed instantly. True or false? As a child, Jesus would not have experienced growing pains. Number eight, listen carefully. Jesus did not sin in the body because he is God. Okay? You should have eight T's or F's. We're not going to feed back because we can't. No talking, interaction uh, inside. Could get us to put our hands up for each one, but I'm guessing that most of you, um, if not all of you, have a mixture of T's and F's. But I am going to put it to you right up front that to fully understand, fully grasp the full implications of Jesus' humanity would push you towards, not definitely because we need to be careful where Scripture doesn't tell us explicitly, would push you towards false for all eight of those statements. Now, straight away we think, really? What? No way. What about that? What about that? That's great. If that's got you thinking, just think, what was the one where you put a T down for? A true? This is what these three sessions are about. That's why we've got a weekend away on fully human. What's it mean for Jesus to be human? What's it mean for us to be human? Hopefully, you know, by the end of this talk, a lot of them will be dealt with because I spoke, I picked specifically bodily, physical ones. But if not, you know, there's a Q&A at the end and there are two more sessions to come. But like, get, get that thinking, get that in your head. Bear that, bear that in mind as we go through um, now. My guess is, if you are anything like me, that, that we tend to overplay the divinity of Jesus Christ, and so are tempted to underplay the humanity of Jesus Christ. And there are perfectly good reasons why that might be the case, right? When we're talking to our friends, our colleagues about Jesus, we want them to know that he is no ordinary man. This is God incarnate. This is the Word made flesh. This is the image of the invisible God. This is our maker and our saviour. 
coming to earth, revealing himself to us fully and finally so we can know him and be saved by him and have relationship with him. It's great that we want people to know that about Jesus Christ. It's great that we want to emphasize his divinity to people. But here is a problem if we focus only, exclusively, too much on the divinity. What do you do with a verse like this? 1 Peter 2.21. I'll be giving lots of Bible references throughout this talk. I can give you them afterwards if you want. But 1 Peter 2.21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Do you not find that verse a little bit unfair? Follow in his footsteps and he committed no sin and no deceit in his mouth. He's God. We're not. I've committed a lot of sin in my life. I've committed a lot of sin already today. Can we really follow in his steps? What is the Apostle Peter talking about? Is he not just setting us up to fail? Well... If you tend to view Jesus predominantly, exclusively, only, fundamentally, through his divinity, well then yes, you're going to really struggle with a verse like that. But what if you don't? What about if you view Jesus as fully human as well as fully divine? If you think about it for the moment, Moses parted the Red Sea. Elijah stopped the rain and started it again. Elisha brought the Shemunite son back to life. Even the Apostle Peter brought Tabitha back from the dead. They weren't divine. They were fully human, just like you and me. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is the divine Son of God. And his forgiving of sin something only God could do, his transfiguration, him saying, I am the resurrection and the life, most importantly of all, the efficacy of his atonement and bearing the full penalty and weight of sin, something he could only do if he was fully divine. That makes it absolutely clear from his life that he was fully, unequivocally God. But Jesus is also fully human. And what if we've actually lost sight of this aspect of his human nature? And what if we start viewing Jesus more through his humanity rather than just his divinity? Because that is how you can make sense of this command, a command which is hugely relevant and practical for us because we are called by him to follow him, to follow his steps, to be like him. And rightly understood, we really can as human beings. Fully human in every way. That's what verse 17 of our passage puts it. And what I want us to do is now think about that specifically with respect to the body and the physical aspect of us, our outer self, if you like. So first, you see a point in the sheet there. You can follow along with those if those are helpful to you. First, Jesus' life in the body. So we know for a fact from the biblical witness that Jesus was born, Luke 2, 7. He grew, Luke 2, 40. He grew tired, John 4, 6. He got thirsty, John 19, 28. He got hungry, 
Matthew 4.2. Jesus became physically weak, Matthew 4.11. Jesus died, Luke 23.46. And Jesus had a real human body after the resurrection, his resurrection, John 20.20. So the gospel writers are absolutely clear that Jesus, the word became flesh. That is flesh and blood, that is fully human. That which was from the beginning, 1 John 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The wonder of the incarnation is that God has fully entered our sinful and fallen world by becoming one of us. And Jesus fully experienced what it means to live life in the body, even though he was without sin. Listen to these words from Thomas Schreiner, a New Testament scholar. The Son did not merely resemble human flesh, but participated fully in sinful flesh. This does not mean that the Son himself sinned, but that he participated fully in the old age of the flesh and that his body was not immune to the powers of the old age sickness and death. And so, what about nappy rash and growing pains? What about puberty and spots? Would Jesus have got a headache from the hot summer sun in Palestine? Might he have suffered from allergies? Might he have ever experienced stomach problems from drinking impure water? If he struck his thumb in the carpentry shop, would it have swollen up, turned black and blue, or perhaps become infected? Perhaps the girl down the street had a crush on him. Did Jesus ever fall as a boy and scrape a knee? Now look, I know we always need to be careful, right, when we are going places where Scripture doesn't give us explicit answers to it. Always need to be careful. But insofar as Jesus is fully human in every way, verse 17, insofar as Jesus fully participated in the old age of flesh with fallenness, sickness, and death, then are we not pushed towards the answer yes to all of those questions? He would have been susceptible to all of them. And no, Jesus would not have zoomed past Usain Bolt in a 100-meter sprint like a Roadrunner cartoon, but given he had slower, faster twitch muscles and no athletic training, I suggest he would have lost quite badly. Now, Mark, great. What's the relevance of all this for us? Look at the end of verse 18 of our passage. Because Jesus, verse 17, is fully human in every way, end of verse 18, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's able to help us because he knows what it's like to live in the body. He knows what it's like to be exhausted at the end of a busy work day and just the need to relax and rest. That was what was going on before the calming of the storm in the boat. He's just exhausted Jesus after all this ministry and people coming around him and he needs to get away. He knows what it's like to be hungry, to be thirsty, the temptation to be grouchy with it. Um, I'm uh, quite physically dependent as a person, or so Joe tells me. That is, I, I'm most tempted to... Um, sin and um, get grouchy and complain and be short with the kids or become too self-focused when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, when I'm ill. Um, you know, and well, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who knows what it's like to be hungry and tired and tempted to sin. What was the very first temptation that the devil 
tried on Jesus. Remember? He was hungry. <laughs> How hungry must Jesus have been having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? My goodness, the temptation there to grumble, to complain, to take matters into your own hands. Must have been huge. The devil goes straight for him. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Use your divine power. Show us who you are. But Jesus resists. And he resists in a very human way. Here's a scripture. A scripture I've read many times. A scripture I've learned. A scripture I've memorized. I've internalized. A scripture I believe in and trust. A scripture that dependence on the Father and in the power of the Spirit, I choose to believe and obey. Whatever it is you are tempted by in the body right now, how you look, the shape of your body, your clumsiness and illness, ongoing physical pain, exhausted after a newborn with very little sleep, a spot that won't go away, concerned about where next month's food shop is going to come from, whatever it is, Jesus knows. Jesus understands. He lived the entirety of his earthly life in the body. He can help you with it. He resisted temptation. And by following in his footsteps, through your faith in him, you can do likewise as you learn scripture and memorize it and internalize it and trust it, and ask the Spirit to help you to really believe it and put it into practice and depend on the Father. Of course it doesn't mean we will reach sinless perfection in this life. Of course not. But Jesus will forgive us when we fail. But more than that, as he calls us to follow in his footsteps, the more we know our Bibles, the more we are dependent on God in prayer, the more we trust the power of the Spirit, the more we can resist temptation in our lives. We really can follow in his steps. So that's the first thing for us to see, Jesus' life in the body. Secondly, Jesus' life in the body-soul union, body and soul together. So far we've been focusing exclusively on the body, the physical part of us. There is also the soul, the inner part of us where we think and we feel and we will. And there's been... a Thinking in the church, and there's a thinking in culture today, that the real you is the soul, right? the inner part of you. And actually, we can do really what we like with our body, that the body is a prison of the soul. That if only we can break free from the limitations of the body, then we can be who we really are. And so, think of when people say, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body, or vice versa. Or think of science fiction films like Lucy or Transcendence when Johnny Depp you know, finally manages to get free from his body and he uploads his real self to a computer and woohoo, he becomes a god. And the Bible says, like, no. That, that, that's, not, that's not what it means to be a, a human being. Verse 7 of our passage is quote from Psalm 8, you know, describing humanity, humanity as body and soul, you know, crowned with glory and honor. Back in Genesis 2, verse 7, 
We read that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being because that's what it means to be a living being. It is body and soul united together as one in union. The body of Adam Adam from the dust of the ground but also the breath of life for the soul. That is the real you. Body and soul together. It's not like the soul's good and the body's bad. Everything God makes is good. Nor is it that the soul is the real you, but the body-soul union together is the real you. And so you think of Jesus moved with compassion, literally churned up in his guts as he saw the crowds helpless and harassed like a sheep without a shepherd. Or you think of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweating, drops of blood as he thought about what he was just about to go through on the cross and bearing his father's wrath at the sin of humanity. And this integration of body and soul, this unit, is really important for us to remember in all of life, but including our spiritual life. And I wonder if we might not have fully reckoned with this or fully appreciate this. So, for example... Take, I don't know, a simple example. Take um, your body posture in prayer. Does it really matter? Well, you say, well, Mark, you can pray wherever you like. You can pray with your eyes open, pray with your eyes shut. You can pray you know, walking to work. You can pray driving a car. You can pray lying down. You can pray upside down. Pray wherever. However, you... It's true. What a wonderful thing that we can talk to our Father in heaven wherever we are, whatever situation we're in. But I'll tell you something. If I'm trying to pray to God at the end of the day, lying in my bed, with the lights out, and my, and my eyes shut, I find that's not the best prayer time for me. And I quickly drift off to sleep. If, on the other hand, I'm you know, on my knees by the edge of the bed with the lights on, you know, I'm much more focused, much more con- concentrated, you know, perhaps even a more reverent attitude. Now, I'm not saying you have to be on your knees when you pray, okay? Nor am I saying that your body posture makes your prayers any more effective. But all I am saying to you is that your body posture can help, can influence help you be more focused, more concentrated, help you have a better attitude. And I wonder if just, you know, have we ever considered that? Do we think about our body when it comes to our, to our prayer life? Think, for example, about fighting the temptation to lust or look at porn or fantasize. Really important to memorize scripture. We've just seen that, right? With the temptation of Jesus. Really important. Flee sexual morality. Treat your brother and sister in Christ with absolute purity. Really important to commit it to prayer each day. Lord, help me to resist the temptation. Really important to think, what's the gospel truth I really need you know, to focus on right, right now? But look, if you are unaware of your particular trigger points, your particular bodily happens, um, habits and bodily patterns, and you know, what is the time of day that this often happens in the time of the week? Oh, it's Friday night, it's the end of a busy week, I'm exhausted, but I don't really go out, but other people are going out, and I'm by myself, and I end up sort of on my phone late at night in my bed, and I'm scrolling through, and then I, I click on this link, and my mind starts to wander. If you're not aware of those, 
Do you not think it's going to make a difference in your resisting temptation to sin? Again, please do not mishear me. I am not saying that the power of God's word and prayer and dependence on the Spirit is not, double negative, not a sufficient means to resist temptation. I'm not saying that. I'm merely asking the question, do you realize the influence your bodily habits play in all this and what it might look like for you to fight temptation and resist sin, body and soul? Just asking the question. Having a healthy spiritual life is absolutely vital. Of course it is. Listening to God's word, talking to him daily, coming along to church, telling others about Jesus, etc. But having a healthy physical life is important too. And that's why sometimes simply going for a run, having a good meal, getting some exercise, getting a good night's rest can do wonders for you. You know, and your attitude towards God because we are body and soul. Physical training is of some Value, says the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And even as we are trying to read our Bibles, that takes our bodies, our eyes, to, to see, to read, ears, to listen, hands maybe to write things down and what we're remembering. Using our hands to write things down in prayer, prayer manual. It's, all, it's integrated, it's together with body and soul. Coming back to church in person after a year of pre-recording and live streaming. Coming back in person, it is so important. The blessing of just being right now in each other's presence, even as we can't feed back, even when you're wearing masks, just looking to someone, just like a nod of hello, can be such an encouragement to the other person. It's not something that you can do from home by yourself. Singing together outside, listening to God's words together, it is different for doing that alone at home. We are made to be in the company of each other, a shoulder to cry on, sometimes just being there, just listening to someone, sometimes not actually saying anything, and yet it can still be hugely reassuring. You know, we've, we've, we've felt there's been something missing this past year, you know, as we've been more online. Live streaming, amazing. Inspire groups over Zoom, amazing. I give thanks to God for the technology. Amazing we've been able to stay connected whilst not being able to meet together in person. But as one piece of research I read about Zoom fatigue um, put it, it said our minds are tricked into the idea of being together when our bodies feel we're not. And the dissonance is exhausting. Now do you see we are body and soul? That is the real you. I think there's this new phrase coming out now, social exhaustion, as people get back seeing each other and meeting up again. So I'm sure the distance is working both ways. But the point is with body and soul, and we need to look after ourselves and look after our bodies. So look, as things continue to open up, let me encourage us all to live in the body as fully as humanly possible. Next week, six people, two households can meet inside. How's it going to help for your Inspire groups? What are the implications there for your hospitality? and for all the one-anothering commands in the New Testament as we live life together as the body of Christ, the local church here in Clerkenwell. Jesus' life in body and soul. Follow in his footsteps. Last thing I want us to look at is Jesus' life 
in the resurrected body. Because sin has affected every area of our lives, body and soul, right? That's why my hair's going gray, that's why I now need glasses, that's why we have chemical imbalances, that's why we get depressed, discouraged, diseased, why we think wrong thoughts, feel wrong feelings, will wrong desires. But, verse 17, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The church father, Gregory Nazianzen, said, that which Jesus has not assumed, he has not healed. But Jesus has so fully assumed our humanity that he can so fully heal us. Human in every way, heal us in every way. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was not just saving your soul. No, as sometimes people say. He was saving your bodies too. The real you. All of you. Romans 8, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And that's why in the new creation we're not going to be flying around as disembodied spirits, but with new and perfect resurrection bodies, just like Jesus himself, risen from the dead, who ate fish with his disciples and said to Thomas, put your hand in my side. Jesus has a body-soul union into eternity. And so, let's honor God with our bodies. Just listen to some of these New Testament exhortations as I close. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not just offer your hearts, as important as they are, but offer your bodies, your hands, your eyes, your feet, all of who you are. You can say in your heart that God is a God of justice and yet walk straight past a homeless person without a care in the world and not do anything for them, either give them food or drink or giving money to a homeless charity. You can say in your heart that God is generous, but then with your hands, be stingy with your money. You can say in your heart that God is forgiving, that God forgives you, and then withhold those very words of forgiveness from your mouth to a fellow person who's wronged you. God wants all of us, body and soul, and for the truth that we believe to work out in every aspect of what we say and feel and do and act. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Romans 6. So that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as as those who have been brought from death to life. What we watch, what we listen to, what we let into our bodies matters. Your eye is a lamp to the body, Jesus says. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. So let's offer the entirety of our bodies to God. 
Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, you who have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I mean, can you imagine the difference it would make if we really believe this to be true about ourselves and our bodies, that they are temples of the Holy Spirit, that they are that precious and that important, and that God's own Spirit is in us, convicting us, guiding us. The Holy Spirit, he wants to make us holy. We are not our own. We belong to him. The most gentlest of saviors, the most amazing of lords. So let's honor God with our bodies, following the steps of the one who loved us, died for us, and is coming back to give us resurrection bodies. So that's what it means, part of what it means to be fully human, what it means to live in the body and to follow in Jesus' steps. So I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pray for us. And I think we open it up to question time. Is that right? Let me just check. (laughs) Well, let's do that anyway. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity we've got this weekend to think about what it means to be fully human and what it means for Christ to be fully human and what it means for us. And in this first session, just looking at the body, the physical aspect of of what, of what you've made us. And we thank you that you know, you're a good God who creates good things and you, you looked at everything that you made and it was very good, humanity, body and soul. And please help us to see just how important our bodies are in, in your light, that we're not our own, that we belong to you, how the body and soul work together in union as an integration. Um, sorry, Father, where we maybe have focus too much on the divinity of Jesus um, to, the, to underplay his humanity and help us to see how much more connected we are um, to him so we really can follow in his footsteps to the same resources he has, we have, word and prayer and the power of the Spirit. So please help us to be much mindful of that reality, not let sin reign in our bodies, honor you and with them, give up our whole lives, all of who we are, body and soul, to you, that that is what it means to worship you and live for you today. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Oh, man.